What's up, Bike Rumor fans? Ready to get your gravel on? At this winter's Envy Gravel Camp, they brought out several of the biggest names in gravel races. We roundtabled with the promoters and owners of Crusher and the Tusher, Dirty Kanza, Rebecca's Private Idaho, The Mid-South, formerly known as the Land Run 100, SBT Gravel in Steamboat, Colorado, and Pete Stetna, who's a pro racer that just launched his own gravel ride event called Pay Dirt. Emceeing the discussion is gravel racer extraordinary Yuri Hauswald, and he brings us through all the major topics affecting gravel cycling and racing today. Everything from why gravel is so hot right now, how they've built their races so big, or why they've chosen not to, getting more women to show up, and how the industry can do better. And what effect it'll have when the pros really start showing up and crushing us mere mortals. It's a lot, running a hair over two hours, so we split this into two parts. If you want to know what the state of gravel riding and racing is, this conversation will both enlighten and entertain. Let's dive in. All right, so guys, I think we're going to get this, get this thing started here. We're, we're ready to record. Um, first, let me just say that it is uh, truly my honor to be moderating this panel uh, with all of you folks. Um, you guys are some of the movers and shakers uh, in the gravel scene right now, um, and you have all um, created events um, that are now in the air quotes, right, monuments of gravel um, because you're all passionate. <laughs> people uh, and so our listeners are probably wondering who I'm actually talking to right now so we're gonna go from my left down to my right and you're gonna introduce yourself and say what event you're with and how old it is okay I guess I'll go first then you are on my left Burke. that's right yeah uh, Burke Swindlehurst I'm with the uh, Crusher and the Tusher and uh, 2020 will be our 10th year so we're coming up on our 10th next Rebecca Rush, Rebecca's Private Idaho. We're going into year number eight. Amy Charity, SBT Gravel, and we're going into year two. Christy Moan, Dirty Kanta, and 2020 will be our 15th anniversary. Bobby Winthel, The Mid-South, formerly known as Land 100. 2020 will be our eighth event as well as Rebo. I'm Pete Stetna, and I'm 32. <laughs> <laughs> just, just for a little context, Pete has created a ride, so he is he is truly also an event promoter too, but he's being very modest, and he's also probably the youngest person sitting here. Um, so I want to also go through this this group, but we'll we'll start down at Pete's end. Um, with what makes your event unique? And I know Pete, we're talking a little hypothetical, maybe people don't totally know exactly what's coming from you, um, but let's quickly go through what makes your guys' events unique. Um, my event was a, a road fondo for the first two years, and just like my career, it's transitioned to gravel. So we're uh, launching out of Carson City this September, um, both sides of the valley, and, and for me it's just, it's a, uh, full exploration. I mean, there's this mountain range called the Pine Nuts that is um, untouched. We couldn't even find trail maps. So there was a lot of breakdowns, a lot of calls for help, but finally we found a, a minty route. And it's, um, I mean, I'm talking uh, packs of wild mustangs and shotgun shells and not much else. It's pretty cool. I have to say, I was jealous. I had FOMO uh, following your IG story when you guys were doing that scouting stuff with Bike Monkey. Mm -hmm. Bobby? Um, yes, sir. Um, I, first of all, before we get into any, any questions, any things, I, I, I just want to say how 
I don't know. I feel really lucky to be at this table, and I feel really honored to be sitting next to the Christy Moan. Um, and I'll, I'll get more into that later. I've known her a long time. Uh, so, you know, obviously the first thing that people think of whenever they think of our race, of what is now the Mid-South, you know, we've had some pretty epic conditions. We've had some pretty bad mud. We've got this clay, sandpaper, destroy your disc brake pads immediately type stuff. And we, we've had we've had four we've had four real bad years, like real bad ones. And um, luckily, the last two have been killer and dry and fast. And so people have gotten to see what we actually ride ninety percent of the time, and why we wanted to invite everyone to come because the roads are remote. They feel remote. Um, they, and we've worked super hard on having private land access um, since two thousand and fifteen. And so we we had two mile section of a cattle rancher's land that we took everyone down. So the county gave them the mile and a half section of land and took the road and they turned the road into just a place for his cattle to graze. And there's a creek there and there used to be a bridge but the bridge fell in. And so he gave us access. We came down, we took the cattle path into the bridge and then we built a 21 stair staircase to get all the riders out of the creek bed. So if there's a way to do it, we're going to work hard enough to figure out how to make the things that we want happen to make the experience super cool for everyone. And then I guess I'd be kind of an idiot to not say that, yes, I have hugged every single person that's ever finished the event. And this year we're over 3,000 people, so it's gonna be a long day. And sung John Denver and played electric guitars and fired cannons, so yeah, just a few things. Just a few, and, and, and yeah, we've, we've, uh, we've, had, a, we've had a beer with, with Iron Monk, the brewery that's a block away, we do a beer can and <clears throat> party. Um, salsa's coming on heavy. We're doing some really fun stuff on Thursday. Um, yeah, so. Well, you're also a dual event now, too, not to totally go down the Mid-South path, but you're also a... We have a 50K Ultra Marathon, and we also have the double. So if you want to do the double, which we've always only, we've always had like a very small number, but this year we, we kind of opened the floodgates a little. So we have 178 people signed up to run the 50K Ultra Marathon on Friday and then line up and ride the 100-mile race on Saturday. And Jake Wells is our current... Uh, reigning champion of the double, and his finish on the bike this year was one of the most special moments of the entire event history. He came in and he knew exactly how many minutes that he had to beat the other person that had beat him in the run by, which was I think 19 minutes, I might be wrong, but I remember that he said, I have 19 minutes, and his eyes were this big. And I yelled at someone to get him a chair and I said, sit right next to the scoring table and don't go anywhere. And then as soon as that minute clicked over, we. We partied so hard. We opened every bottle of champagne and we just went absolutely crazy. But it's, uh, yeah, our roads are sick. Our town is small. We're two miles from dirt in any direction. And um, we've taken a lot of cues from what Christy Moon brought to Dirty Kansas. And I feel incredibly lucky that she had the, the foresight to include the city in the way that she did. And it's benefited gravel across the board. And so like we, we, we took a ton of stuff from their playbook and I'm I'm not afraid to say that. And and then also, yeah, we we added a little more spice on top of that. I think too in our own way for our own stuff and it's been it's been a blast. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Christy Moan. Wow. That's uh, a big one. That, you know? I gotta yeah. follow that. <laughs> Sorry. You guys um, chose the order you said. I know. I, didn't know. I thought we were going this direction. Yes, well, um, keeping keep you on your toes. Keeping you on our toes. I always think that Dirty Kansas has three things that make it really special. Uh, the first is the Flint Hills. Um, they're unsuspectingly beautiful. A lot of people don't really understand how pretty Kansas actually is. 
and that it's not flat and that there is some terrain out there that um, can really make or break your day. Eight flats, Amy Cherry. Um, so uh, the Flint Hills are pretty special. Um, I think the way that we've involved support crews is pretty cool. Um, you know, you, like the, you have to bring your own snacks to Dirty Kansas, so, um, uh, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty cool, the, the perspective that it gets racers' families involved, so it's not just about the racer, it's about the entire family. And then, um, probably my pride and joy, in all honesty, is my hometown, Emporia, Kansas, um, crushes uh, how they support this event with a finish line between eight to 12,000 people to cheer people in. Um, it's a pretty rad experience for riders. Um, and it's made, I mean, we have, Emporia has like cycling heroes um, that when they come back to Emporia, they're treated like royalty. I mean, you're one of them, Yuri. Um, Rebecca Rush is one of them. Thank you. Um, you know, it's, it's just, it's really special to see how this little town of 26,000 people has decided to show up and embrace gravel cycles. Thank you. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, I'm getting emotional just thinking too, about it. It's hard for yeah, me to talk about it. Just thinking we, about no. the finish line. It's, uh, it's heavy duty coming down that finish line. I mean, I have many stories of connecting with locals um, who've saved my day mm -hmm. um, out there or have made a connection with um, for no other reason because I was just riding my bike. Yeah, I mean, we have so many special things with it, but those to me are kind of the three things that stand out that make DK pretty special. So. Yeah, for sure. How about that to follow that? Yeah, yeah, I know. This yeah. is getting, oh, sorry. <laughs> getting more and more difficult, isn't it? Yeah, I think we, um, you, it, it was, it's interesting to come into this a little bit later in the game and to see all of these amazing things that these different race directors have done. And uh, something that SBT did that was, I would say, unique is our, we really wanted to invest in the racer and think through what are some of those challenging things. So, um, I thought through, okay, coffee at the start of the race would be incredible. So we have free coffee for everyone that's there. Um, signage, and some of that is due to, if anyone was riding with me today, lack of navigational skills. So having signs that direct you to different places, um, having aid stations out on the course. So um, SBT really wanted an investment in the race or everything from when you start in the race throughout the race and then um, finishing up with a great finisher meal and a beer and a river right there. So what can we do to kind of make it more about being out there and enjoying the beauty of it and taking off some of those things that are, are more challenging for, for racers. Um, I think those are probably the most unique and then um, being in Steamboat Springs, which is known as a it's ski town USA, and we've um, we also have the trademark bike town USA. So having um, people start to discover that and see Steamboat for more than just a winter destination, and um, really see it when I think it's absolutely the best is in the summertime. So I think those are probably our two most unique uh, qualities. Having done it last year, I would say uh, the terrain was stunning and your aid stations were over the top, um, well staffed, and just, yeah, super, super attentive folks. So good, good to job. Yeah, good to hear. Yeah, Thank really. you. The queen, talk to me. All right. Um, I mean, I think with uh, with most events, the, they reflect the personality of the event director and the founder. Definitely. And um, for me, with Private Idaho, you, you were 
one of the people who gave me the nudge when I said, do you think this would work? And you're like, yeah, do it. Do it. Great. Do it. Um, but, and, and, you know, my core values from year number one to now have not changed, but I, I, I think that there's a few things that make Private Idaho special, and it's uh, people, place, and purpose. Um, and with the people, it's it's about me. It's about the queen of pain. It's I want you to come to my hometown. You're going to be welcomed with open arms. Um, I think Meg Fisher said it really well when she said she's going to throw you to the wolves and then she's going to give you a big hug at the end and, and it's really important to me that people feel like they're welcome in my hometown uh, but I'm going to push them I'm going to push them hard and it is it is the kind of riding I like it's less of a road race and probably more of a trending towards uh, a mountain bike race um, because that's the style of exploration I like um, but it is about the people and small town hospitality of Idaho and Anyone who's come to Idaho, they never come once. Um, they come back again because it's it's pretty unique. It's got the most uh, public lands um, other than Alaska of, of any state in the U.S. Um, so it's it's it is celebrating the public lands and being away from cell phone, away from things. Um, so that's the second part, which is the place. Of, it's a really special. It's a church for me, and so I love that people get out of cell phone range. And they've got to do later grams instead of Instagrams. Um, and, and I really want people, I do believe that if people fall in love with a place or open space and land, that they will um, want to protect it and take care of it. And so the place is really important. Um, we celebrate our heritage with some ND potato gun shooting and uh, um, the Wagon Days Parade. And it really does kind of celebrate. We ride on the same roads where the wagons came over, the war wagons, um, a long time ago. And that terrain is very, it's untouched from 100 years ago. And it's pretty special. You don't see a house. You don't see a telephone pole. Um, so the place. And then the purpose, it's always been um, a fundraising event for me. I mean, the bicycle has given me so many gifts, and I feel a responsibility to give back to my community, um, our local, you know, Idaho High School Cycling League, um, and clearing bombs in Laos, and World Bicycle League, People for Bikes. Um, so really, it has, it has always been about, um, you know, healing and connecting with the bike. And so kind of those are the three things, people, place, purpose. And also the fact that, you know, you turned your event into a stage race. You were, I guess, arguably, right, the first gravel stage race? Maybe. I think so. Yeah. I mean, really, it's reflected what would I want to do. And people started coming to town and being <laughs> like, we're going to come a couple days earlier. Where can I ride? And so basically just to help my cell phone, you know, texting, like, <laughs> what rides can we do? What rides can we do? I was like, you know what? If people are coming here, I want to show them around. And it's the same kind of hospitality that um, the reason I made the stage race is because I would want to do that. And it's kind of, I took out of the playbook of mountain bike stage racing, and I've been able to travel the world and, and ride all these cool places, mountain bike stage racing. And so that was why the, the Queen stage race was launched. And every year, you know, we added the tater tot 20 miler, and you know, it's like Christy said, we're trying to embrace something for everybody, whether you want to do a four day stage race or 20 mile tater tot or whatever, we're trying to um, bring all the cyclists in as much as we can. We're going to get back to that very topic right there later for sure. Mr. Swindlehurst, T-Bird. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I would say the thing that probably makes the Crusher unique is just the amount of uh, community and family that's, that's out on the course. Uh, you know, we're, it's a small town. I mean, we're, we're at under 2,500 people. And so anybody that comes to this race, at some point they're going to have interaction, not with just the, the community, but with actually my family. You know. I mean, I guarantee everybody that's done my race has probably met my family members. They, they may not know it, 
but you've gotten a hand up from my dad, or from my father-in-law, my mother-in-law, my nieces and nephews, guaranteed, guaranteed. Uh, and just the amount of community support that turns out for our aid stations and stuff, I, you know, people will talk about how difficult the course is, and you know, the elevation and the heat and the cold, the wind, the hail, the lightning, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, the thing that everybody talks about are the volunteers. And so I, I would say that's by far the most um, unique thing about the event and the thing that I'm most proud of. And, and, and I'm not proud of myself for that. I'm proud of that, the community and the community that I grew up in, a small town that has come together, um, starting from family and friends. So. Yeah, that's a really cool story. I, you know, like Reba wanted to share her home state. Um, your event was spawned. Correct me if I'm wrong, because that was your training grounds when you were at Road Trail. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how that came together quickly for you. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, when I was I was in my mid twenties, I was you know I was an aspiring road professional. I wanted to be a road pro, and uh, there you were, were a road pro. Well, at that point, <laughs> I wasn't. I wanted to be bad desperately. Um, and uh, I was living in northern Utah, uh, going to school up at Utah State University in Logan. And climbing has always been my thing. Climbing and altitude, those were the two things. Like, I'm a, I'm a one-trick pony, I knew it. Like, that's what I do. So I gotta figure out how to be as good as I possibly can at that. And uh, in Logan, there, there weren't the huge long climbs, uh, but there were in my hometown down in Beaver. So uh, prior to the 1996 tour of the Gila, I, I hatched a plan with one of my buddies. I'm like, we're gonna ride to, to Beaver from here, from Logan, which is, you know, opposite ends of the state, and we just packed credit cards in our, our jersey pockets and just started riding and, and basically connected the dots over, you know, gravel and, you know, back roads and all that kind of stuff, and, and we got to the, the back side of uh, Paiute County, and I'd never ridden up that road before, I just, I knew there was a road there, I looked at the map, I had no idea what was waiting for us, and it's, you know, what everybody now knows is the cold crush, like, the first time I climbed that was on a, you know, bike with, we basically had panniers on, um, 25C tires, 39, 23, you know, 39 cog set, 23 in the back. And uh, that, was my, that was my first time up that hill. And after I got to the top, my buddy actually hopped in a truck and I, I got to the top and he's sitting under a tree with two empty beer cans by him. I was pretty pissed. <laughs> he didn't oh, say one Yeah, he drank them both. Yeah. <laughs> I think that climb has pissed off plenty of people over the years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, once once we got back, you know, descended down into Beaver, it, it was just in my mind from that day forward. I'm like, I want to show other people this. I had no idea it was going to become a bike race. I just knew that that's something that I wanted to share with other people and experience that resonated with me and some way, some, somehow I was gonna make that happen. And it, it took you know, 15, 20 years for me to actually kind of formulate how that was going to look. Yeah, because you had that passionate spark yeah. that eventually, like for all of you guys, led to the creation of your events, which is really cool. One more thing while we're just kind of <clears throat> waxing nostalgic, I, I realized that I have a story sort of like my origin story sort of with a lot of every one of you up here on this panel. So um, I'm just gonna quickly go left to right and, and share them as briefly as possible. So uh, my highlight with you, Burke, would be standing on the podium with you um, at Rita's first private Idaho. I was nowhere near him, but there was only like 10 of us. So I got second. Yeah. 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 Uh, and with you, Queenie, there's there's a ton of stories, obviously. 
uh, but it would be the bowl of soup at uh, Dirt, Sweat, and Gears when I had heat stroke, and you and Charles gave me a bowl of soup that uh, maybe saved me from going to the hospital. Yeah. So, thank you. Soup and a hug. Soup and a hug. That's all it takes. That's a good sticker. Soup and a hug. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> Amy, you know where I'm going with this one. So Amy, Charity, and I actually really didn't even know each other before last year's DK. I mean, we kind of knew each other because we were working with SBT Gravel. Um, but we ended up becoming really good friends out of the Really good friends. We both had some low points. Yes, had super low points. But uh, the high point for me was like riding like the last 30 miles with you and working our way home together. I'm finishing that one off because that was a tough one for me too. Yeah. Super tough. <laughs> that was great. So we'll you got me that. there for yeah. sure. Uh, Chrissy Bone, too many, too many memories, but um, any number of DK finish line hugs um, for sure. Um, and just countless hours of gravel, maybe uh, down in Patagonia when we went up Montezuma's. Yeah, yeah this winter. Bobby Wintle, uh, it would be 2013, so my first Dirty Kanza ever. Uh, I was sleeping on the floor at Leland Danes, who's also one of the promoters of Dirty Kanza at his house. I didn't know Bobby from Adam. Um, ended up rolling in the dark with he and Crystal. They were on their tandem, and we just became immediate friends. Uh, their energy was inspiring, and uh, it, it, yes, my love for gravel started that morning when I rolled to the start line in 2013. Um, Pete. I'm, I'm alive. <laughs> That, that was from all the suffering. You know, I, I go out on training rides with like he and Levi and I'm the fat kid. On, <laughs> and so I've had a lot of painful miles with Pete, but um, it's always an honor um, and a pleasure to ride with a pro like um, you. And I really appreciate it actually two weeks ago when you dropped back and rode the whole climb up low gap with me. And um, yeah, I appreciate that. Actually, the first time I, oh, before, I before I moved to Sonoma County, Colorado, you know, I always come to California for my winter training and stayed with my buddy Stephen Coza out yes. of Petaluma. And this was, oh God, 2010, 2009. And, uh, but yeah, he was like, ah, right, we're going to go roll with my mountain bike pro buddy and <laughs> roll up to this little lake cottage. And oh, that's freaking Yuri rolls out with these, I mean, he used to have like mutton chops. He looked like one of the founding fathers. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that, that was my remembrance of Yuri, oh, and then I, never, I, didn't, I didn't really know him after that, yeah. and then all of a sudden I moved to Sonoma County a few years later, and yeah, there's Yuri, right. and, yeah. yeah, still riding his bike. Yeah. Oh, man. All right, cool. Well, um, before we jump into the, the meat of this, I just want to put a general disclaimer out there to the podcast listening audience that by no means do we think we are the only gravel or mixed terrain experts out there. Um, we are just a few of the voices uh, in this ever-changing, expanding um, landscape. Uh, we all just happen to be lucky enough to be gathered here at the Bluebird Gravel Camp, um, you know, uh, to, to discuss the state of gravel and what's happening out there right now. So um, I sent a bunch of you guys, I sent all of you guys questions. Um, my plan is to like go through them, um, maybe asking you guys individually. Um, and then we can expound upon them as we go. Um, sorry, let me get into my computer here. Right. I lost my questions for a second. Do you want them? I have them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hang on one second. Here we go. I'm just gonna go back. 
stayed pure, and the grassroots vibe is very um, um, infectious. And we're going to need to circle back to that because that's also a question that's coming up, the grassroots vibe and how infectious it is, but what could be happening to that as, as gravel evolves. Bobby? Inclusion. Okay. Yeah. There's too many, there are too many things to say, but I think, <laughs> I think there's this. I'm going to try and say it as quickly as possible. We're taking the person that could potentially be the spectator at a, at a main NFL event or an MLB event or anywhere else. We're taking the spectator and we are turning them into the main event. The participant is our focus and inclusion is key. And so the 99% at my event, at most of these events that I've been to, is, is, is not potentially who's on the podium. That To me, the podium matters too. I'm competitive too. I just happen to be very slow. So I'm just being competitive with the course. I'm being competitive with myself. Mm -hmm. And we're giving people a chance to get off of the couch, to get out of their house, and to be the main event. And there are, I feel like our finish lines and our, our courses in and within themselves, and the aid stations along the way, and the parties that happen there, and the celebrations, the, the small ones that happen along the way, and conquering something that maybe most of these people never thought were possible is building and growing inclusion more to me and so I, I want humans to know they're capable and I want them to feel like the main event no matter if it's five hours or this year we had two records broken fastest time ever pacing five hours four minutes slowest time ever 16 and a half hours or something I was delusional I can't remember the time but we were just wait we waited the finish line was open so yeah that's it Christy Mo. Um, I mean, inclusion is is my big key too. I mean, I think that that's something we try really hard at Dirty Kansas to do. Um, we were obviously stoked with Colin's sub ten finish, but um, you know the the ones that I remember from uh, twenty nineteen. You know, my favorite finisher was Anne Gentle, who finished the hundred mile run. It was her first long distance event. She's a, she's been battling cancer. It's hard for me to talk about it because it was so monumental for her. Um, but if I had to step away from inclusion, I would also say I think that you know we've become distracted drivers, and gravel is a much safer place yes. to be. Um, so I think that that's a big part of it too. Is just that um, I think people are looking for exploration. People are looking for places to find themselves, and being on the road is not a safe place. Being on gravel is is much more approachable than a mountain bike trail for a lot of people and it's it's a lot more accessible in a lot of parts of the country um, and it ultimately ends up being a safer alternative. So. 
Yeah, those are, those are two of the biggest, inclusion and safety. Um, I think a third that um, I'll add is engagement. I think that each one of these race directors at this table, everyone in this room, are incredibly engaged with every person who's out there, with every race, or we, we start to know the different stories that people have and we're interested, and it's not just watching pros race, it's really this incredible community that's developed. So I think engagement has been a big piece of gravel and something that's um, really made it unique and has pushed it to a different level um, in terms of everyone feeling welcome. I agree with all of you. Um, I only, I disagree with Pete that um, this is not new. Uh, gravel is not new. You, you're Fair new enough, to yeah. it, but yeah, I mean yes. the original Tour de France, they were riding on dirt roads. And so the cool thing is that there is a long history of people riding off-road on bikes. They, the bikes just look a little bit different now. Um, there's a lot more people. Which is cool. It's cool. And there's people who do think it's new. They're coming to it. It's new. But it's really like it's the origins of cycling and, and what I feel like, you know, there's a gravel explosion. Um, I'll go back to the same reason I launched Private Idaho is I just went exploring and like there's all this stuff outside my back door that I've never seen and I think in this age of hyper con connectivity and technology and people are busy and the cities are exploding um, people want to escape and you're seeing that in bikepacking you're seeing it in people trying to flee mm -hmm. urban centers and live somewhere else people just need to get away because we are too plugged in and gravel and these remote towns and these little roads offer a place for people to find sanctuary and find peace and quiet and safety and find themselves and we are just way too plugged in and so i think it's all the things that everybody said but ultimately i think humans are trying to disconnect because we are so connected and it's why i won't make private idaho too big it's why it will always stay it's why it's called private Idaho, um, because I think we all need that time and space in our day, whether it's five minutes or, or 100 miles or whatever, um, is, is really trying to escape. Good answer. Burr? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think everybody, I've, from what I'm hearing, my own personal feeling, inclusion is, is a huge thing. Um, for me, I, the inclusion is like 99% of it. I think I think certain certain genres of cycling have, be, have become fairly alienating to people, and I think this is one of those things that people can finally look at and, and see themselves actually doing. Having never experienced riding a bicycle, they can look at this and think like, "Yeah, that that looks fun. I could do that." Um, aside from inclusion, I think when whenever I try and figure out what if I could distill what this whole genre is, and I, and I hate calling it gravel, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, we talked about yes. that earlier. We yeah. could talk about yeah. that later, too. Yeah. Dirt lips. But <laughs> I, I think the one word that always springs to mind when I think about this is freedom. Yeah. It's all about freedom. It's about freedom of expression. For me, personally, this is a, this is an, a, uh, this event is a, an outgrowing of my personal expression. It's, it's almost like an, an art for me. Mm -hmm. It's my canvas. Yes. Um, it's also freedom from constraints of, you know, people telling you what to do and how to do it. 
It's freedom being able to be on a bike and no longer be confined to the pavement. Be able to say like, I wanna do this ride, I wanna get to this place, and I'm gonna get there one way or another, whether it's paved or it's dirt or I'm, you know, bending a fence down and hopping over some bob wire and, you know, pulling ass across the field as quickly, quickly as I can. <laughs> that's, that's what this is all about for me. Um, and and I, I think that's kind of what's driving it more than anything. I, I think, you know, it's, I think it's not, it's no coincidence that this is kind of almost an American phenomenon because it is, that's kind of at the heart of what we want. We don't want constraints. We want to just be able to break free and, and do what we want to and do, do it how we want to do it. Yeah. <clears throat> that's, that's a perfect segue uh, into well, a much larger, uh, thornier question, possibly later, you know, the idea of um, does there need to be some sort of like governing body for gravel and stuff like that? I don't want to jump into that one just yet because that's a big one. You know, I want to add one thing really yeah, quick. Go ahead. Um, just, you know, know one thing that is really unique from my perspective about gravel, and I think it is part of the success, is this, I guess, what everyone's calling the marathon format. And, you know, coming from the world tour and, you know, the, the glam of the Tour de France, but it's a very secular world. And, and you know, at the Belgian waffle ride at Dirty Kanza at Leadville this year, it's when you're lining up with everybody else, whether or not you are racing it, you know, against others or yourself, you are all out there together. And everyone, you know, you meet your maker on that course in some way or some form, and you know everyone else is going through that at the same time. And as a pro, it's a lot more relatable for me to, to others, to the age groupers, and from just the general participants that, that you know, you're focused on back to me. You know, they can also, you know, appreciate that, you know, we're not just... Um, the selfish lifestyle focused on going fast, but you know we're we're out there for the same pure enjoyment that they are, and that was um, it was really uh, fresh and exhilarating for me this year. And I think that's kind of caught a lot of people. Is yeah, it, it comes back to the, the community of it. For sure. I mean, I had my boy <laughs> moments uh, this year at the start of DK as well. <laughs> you know, I got called up after. Uh, Lachlan and Taylor Finn. Yeah, boy. Between those dudes, it's like, what's up, fellas? Let's rodeo. So, um, but anyway, let's. Uh, I want to talk about. We've all talked about the the growth of gravel and the key is like keeping its grassroots base. I'm wondering if we can just talk about how you guys plan on managing that growth and maintaining that grassroots feel. I mean. We're dealing with, um, you know, Lifetime Fitness is, has bought a few events in here, um, and I think people's big fear might be that gravel becomes too sanitized or corporatized. So um, I know that this is a multi-pronged question here, but um, how do you manage growth but maintain that that grassroots base? And I'm just throwing this out there, so whoever wants to step up to the mic first, go for it. Yeah, I think we all, when we talked about sort of our points of difference, I think. Um, a lot of them stem from whether they're our hometowns, our communities, our personalities, what we think is the right way. And for SBT specifically, I think we we want to maintain that sort of those inherent values that we started with. And I and I hope and assume DK will as well, which is it's very different on their approach with 
your support and your navigation and all those things I said were so important to us. That's also what I love about DK. It's a completely different experience. And I think that that sort of adventure side, if we all hold true to, you know, I can list off what SBT's values are. If we all stick with those values, they're different for each of us, but I think there's still things that we appreciate. And every one of us has something very different about our races that I would, I would hate to see go away to come up with something that we all have that's the same. But I'm going to go right back at that managing growth. I mean, you guys have doubled. We, yeah, we've increased by a thousand for yeah. this year. And I think that is, we're, we're, we're managing how quickly we do grow. So I think that in two years, we may have 3,500. Um, and that's okay as long as we stick to what we think of as the racer experience. It's still, it, the day that somebody says, you know, it's great two years ago, but they just grew too much. I didn't get coffee at the start. I couldn't figure out where to go. The volunteers weren't nice. If, if we hear any of those things that are so important to us are going away because of our size, that's when we've grown too quickly. But I don't think that we lose our values based on the number of people. I think we can still maintain that. We can accommodate that many people on the roads. And as long as we still have that support there and we can keep that kind of um, experience that we created in year one, I think we're still on the right path. Now, Burke and Reva, correct me if I'm wrong, you guys, are you up against hard limits with like the forest service as far as numbers, as far as growth, or uh, you guys may be two different beasts, so? Well, for, for me, initially, <coughs> yes, the, the forest service permit was one of those limitations on, on uh, how big the event can grow, but then at a certain point, the, the forest service, you know, trusted in, in what we were doing uh, and basically said, you know, we can discuss lifting the lid on this when you want to, but I, that was something that I was not interested in because at that point the growth was more like, what can I manage personally, my bandwidth? And I never really personally felt comfortable going beyond the 600. I always, at, at the end of every year, you know, riders would come across the line and they'd be like, never again. And I'm like, I hear you, man. <laughs> I'm right there with you. And you're like, what? I'm like, oh, no, no, I'm serious. Like, this was, I think this was the last one. <laughs> and I was, I was 100% honest. You know, it, 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 it takes like a month of unplugging and riding for me to finally start to wrap my head around doing it again. And so, for me, the growth, you know, what's been the limit to our growth has always been what I feel capable of doing because yes. I never want to do more than the last thing I ever want to do is let anybody down. You know, somebody somebody once said to me, oh, you know, the Crusher sold out in two hours this year. I bet that felt good. And I said, are you kidding me, man? That scared the shit out of me. <laughs> because I, yep. I see that I see that is, that, that's expectation. My, like every person that buys a spot in the Crusher, I have a contract with that person to fill those expectations. Be a good event, and, buddy. <laughs> and the quicker it goes, the more expectation I feel and the more responsibility I feel. So. That's kind of the perspective I'm coming from. So it's, it's strictly a matter of like being able to deliver up to my own personal expectations of what I'm able to do that I, I feel like I owe this to, to this, these people. And if I can't do that, then I'm not gonna lift the lid on it. So yeah. we'll circle back to you later yeah. because you are one of the events that was recently purchased right. by Lifetime. If folks don't know that out there in podcast world, so we talk about that later. Reba, did you wanna? You know, growth with your event, you don't have hard limits with Forest Service, and like, 
how it's grown, how you manage your growth, you know, and maintain what makes your yeah, race unique. It's been self-limiting. I mean, permits are always an issue, yeah. but um, I've put the caps on myself um, based on what I can manage, but also what I can deliver to people. And I promise a remote event called Rebecca's Private Idaho. And if it ever, I've, I've added slowly like 200 people a year. And then I go out on course and I ride the course and I, see how it feels um, and when it ever reaches a point where people can't have that private escape experience that like Amy said that's one of my core values um, and the moment that that is compromised um, you know we're probably nearing our cap you know we had 1200 people last year and and that might be it um, and to me success is not more people um, I've chosen I've chosen to grow the event with adding more stages adding training camps mm -hmm. You know, maybe I add another event, but not by packing more people onto a course because we all know what that's like to be at a race that's too big and it loses its appeal, especially when we're all saying that something really special about gravel is escape and getting off the beaten path and not being in, you know, a pack of 50,000 people, um, you know, the Boston Marathon or whatever. Um, yeah. And so, so for me, it's been self-regulating um, because I want to deliver what I promised, like Bert said. So yeah, right. yeah I just, I mean, yeah. our growth I mean, has DK, been. This is DK yeah, DK. The, our growth has definitely been uh, more horizontal over the last few years, um, where we've added stuff to our expo. Um, we have distances now from um, we have 25, 50, 100, 200, the 350. And then we have the high school race, um, so we're keeping our. I mean, we're we're at our number that we can service, and you know, we always get flack because people are always like, "Why can't you just take more people?" And it's always been for us like we've grown it very slow. When you look back from starting with thirty-four riders, um, we never have had any huge leaps. But what we've done is added different distances to give people more experiences and to meet them where they're at in their journey and trying to come into the gravel scene. Um, and we continue to look for ways to do camps and, and women's camps and things like that to kind of give people those experiences with it where it doesn't become <coughs> just a cluster of enormous amount of racers out there on course. Our checkpoint towns are our biggest limiting factor. Yeah, I, wonder, can you, I don't think people understand that sometimes. Maybe you could just give us a quick explanation the, of why DK can't expand really. Well, I mean, I guess it, I mean, it could. But that's not our wish because yeah. we want to deliver the experience that, that we are, you know, the contract that we have with, with the racer. Um, but the checkpoint towns that we, that we go through are small. Um, and so those towns have to be able to, we have to be able to have, have a place to be able to stage the support crews and have racers come in, get in, get in, in and out safely. The last time we had growth was, um, we had a little bit of growth in 19. We had a little bit this year for 2020, um, but, we split, um, when we switched the course this year, and DK does not run the same course. It, it runs two to three years and then we switch the course. Um, and so last year we split the 50 mile checkpoint town. So although Council Grove, which is one of the small communities that we use for this year's course and last year's course, serviced both the 200 milers and the 100 milers, it was the first checkpoint, for, it was the only checkpoint for the 100 milers and it was the second checkpoint for the 200 mile. So we were able to add people to the 100 and the 200 mile distance because we didn't have all of those people. Whereas before, Madison served as the 50 mile spot for both the 100 and the 200. So we had 
both races coming into that town. And you're like quadruple <coughs> Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and the towns, well, I mean, they so want to have dirty cans that come through their, their communities. So it's, it's fun from that perspective. But yeah, it's very much, um, could we take everybody that puts their name into the lottery? Yeah, but it wouldn't be fair to those that, those that, are, that we're committing to putting on the experience for. Yeah, Bobby Wendell. Yep. So I think the number one question that I get from local locals yes. that aren't cyclists, um, or even some of them that are that are a part of the event too, but most of most of the conversations are people either from city government or from other local business owners, and they just say, "Why do you put a cap on it? Why why are you limiting this? Why why are you going to be like hotter than hell and have fifteen thousand people?" And I'm just like, I mean, I think you just answered your own question. Like, I want this to be special. I want it to have the vibe that, number one, also, yes, like, don't, you guys nailed it. Like, our, our crew is tiny. There's four of us full-time at District Bicycles, and then we have event manager Sally Turner, myself, three dedicated volunteers that run the volunteer setup, the course marshalling, and the setup of downtown, and that's it. And they're not paid. And I don't know if I've ever really actually paid myself from this. You know, we've just reinvested. And so I want to I want to grow it slowly, and we have too. I think I think we've tried to be really respectful. We've gone from like 120, then 278, then 500. 500, 500 was the first time we ever put a cap on it. We sold out in two weeks, and we were so stoked. And uh, yeah, so I, I think what we have our our formats, our individual formats, are not broken. They are not broken. So they, in my opinion, yes, we can always do better. But our formats as a whole, in my opinion are working, obviously. That's why we're all so popular. That's why everybody wants to come and be a part of it because it feels like you're a part of, it still kind of feels like you're a part of something that not everyone is allowed or, or not allowed, but not everyone is privy to. It still feels like this kind of like, hey, you know about that ride on Saturday? Like, yeah, we're gonna go to that spot that nobody knows about, sick. All right, dope, I'll see you there. And that's, I want to that to be very inclusive, like I said earlier, but I also want people to feel like this is special. And so, yeah, responsible growth to me has been has been. I've just made it up. I've made up. <laughs> I've made up the caps every year. I don't know. I've just been like, cool, two thousand people. I'm scared to death. Holy shit! Just like Burke said, like, oh my god. And this year, we just we've kind of opened. We've kind of, in my opinion, with being over three thousand for the first time, where we just clicked over three thousand and like five people just a couple days ago total. So that's also we have the run as well. Yes. So fifty k we have almost one hundred and fifty. We're almost sold out for just the fifty k. I've moved it from Saturday for the first time. So now all the running happens on Friday. So the double and thank you. So we only have to have eight stations one day. They can be epically stellar. Um, running on Friday all by Saturday, and we we haven't fully started growing. Horizontally, the, the way that Dirty Kansas really has, and I think you guys have done it incredibly well with the high school rates and with the 25 and the 50. And so we just have the 50 and we have the 100. But um, yeah, we've got set almost 700 people in the 50 and then over 2,100 in the 100 mile. And so it's, it's going to be it's gonna be packed rollout. It's going to be a little slow until we get to the gravel. But when we get to the gravel, I think it'll shake out and we'll be fine. But like, uh, like, like Burke said, I, I have a binding contracts to deliver an incredible experience and when people don't have a good one it, it, it's a bummer it's a bummer to me and so yeah i think i think responsible growth is key and and also being confident in our model we have a great model so let's keep doing what we're doing in my opinion nice thank you you guys
Um, before I put Pete on the spot and we talk a little bit about world tour riders coming into gravel, um, I want to talk a little bit more about inclusivity and specifically the push that three of you here and, and the gentlemen as well have made to get more women um, into gravel fields. So, um, Reba, what were you at this year? Thirty-four percent at RPI, uh -huh. and maybe we maybe we can just like address maybe specific uh, things that you guys are doing to help do that. That's one of the questions that's come up on IG: is how are you guys trying to promote more inclusivity, particularly with women, and how we do that? There was one particularly pointed question at the pro men, like how how are you helping get more <coughs> women involved in the sport? Um, I particularly think it's a it's a group effort. It takes both of us. Um, it's not my looks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would highly disagree. There's been a number of, a number of initiatives this year to get more women on bikes. So I'm wondering, no, no particular if you guys just wanted to touch on what you have done as, as events or individuals to help with that. I mean, for me, the same as my event, I've just been me. I really haven't done special things i just i am a female um and i think you know if you can see it you can be it and i think there's a lot of power in the fact that i'm a female race director and i'm a female pro and people see that and i talk about it it's normal like it's just a normal conversation that i have it's not anything special and we every year have had year number one uh 20 plus um female participation which doesn't sound like a lot but um for ultra endurance cycling events, that's high. And then this year we hit, um, you know, above 35%, 36%, I think it was, which is is not high enough for me. I'd love to hit 50-50, but honestly, like I haven't done anything special. I haven't like let extra women in. I've just talked about women the same as I talk about myself, you know, and we, the, you know, make sure there's pictures of everybody, but it has not been a conscious effort. It's just me being me. Yeah. Um, and I think that that is when we will really have succeeded when it is just normal. Yeah. And you don't, yeah. you're just doing what you're doing and people are showing up because they feel welcome. And I think the fact that I am a female and I've just always been that way um, has attracted people to my event, but it hasn't been a special initiative or anything. Thanks for sharing that, Amy. Do you want yeah. to talk about what you guys did? Yeah, no, I think that's... Because um, everybody's done something different here. Uh, yeah. You're not saying yeah. that they have the right yeah. way, but yeah. they're just all sharing their way, so yeah. Um, yeah, so when we first opened up um, SBT and registration, we were at... Our percentage for women was in the low 20s, and um, I thought, this, how can we be in the low 20s? We can do better than that, and what is it going to take? And so we did open up more spots. We opened up 400 additional spots last year and um, filled those with women. And that took us to 30%. And similar to Rebecca, I I, I want to not even have this conversation at some point. That's my ultimate goal is that we're 50-50 we're and half show up. And that's, that's where we are. But I think um, we did things that seemed very um, obvious, but they're, they're not always in the bike industry and that's equal prize purse. Um, and when we did open up those additional spots, we reached out to women who were already registered. And these are anyone from pro to a never ever been in a bike race and said, why are, why are you coming? Tell us your story. Have you had obstacles? What's inspiring you? What are you looking forward to? 
and we put those stories out there, and I think that helped women think through, oh, well, yeah, maybe I could be there too. Um, we were trying to dig into what is it that, that motivates female, what are the barriers to get them to sign up, and we tried to address those with really making them feel welcome. Yeah. Christy Mullen? Uh, we, we did our big initiative in 2017 with the 200 Women, 200 Miles campaign, and uh, really have grown to looking at our start lines across the board to where we had 34% women in our start lines last year, which was really awesome. Um, we do a women's camp that helps women understand how to train smarter and better, understanding that uh, so many times women are doing so many things in the household. How can you take the time that you spend on the bike and make it more effective? Um, the other thing that I'm probably the most proud of, though, is what we're trying to do in empowering women off the bike. Um, you know, Gabby Adams is our race, one of our race directors for Big Sugar. She designed the course, um, taking the women that um, have been passionate about it and trying to put them in positions of power to continue to grow more and more women in the field so that we don't just see more women on bikes. I want them in the industry finding a place there too. So we've had panels at Dirty Kansas that have been, um, you know, how we get more women off the bike. We put out and we put out a call to all the expo vendors asking them to look inside their staff to bring women to staff their booths at our vendor at our expo. Um, because we just wanna see we, we wanna raise the awareness. And again, like at some point I'm hoping that the discussion isn't happening, but right now um, I feel somewhat of a responsibility at being in this role to continue to, you know, I'm not a pro cyclist. Um, I don't have that background, but but what can I bring that, that can make an impact and make a difference? And so trying to, you know, find ways to get more women at the start line, but also to get more women in our industry is super important. I mean, Celine Yeager, that's huge. Her sitting over there, um, you know, she's, she's an inspiration too. So it's like, you know, on the bike and off the bike. <laughs> And also so like that's give, yeah, unpaid. Another yeah, one in the room. Shout out, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I didn't mean to exclude the two male promoters up here. Just make this a female-specific question. So bad on me. Like, if you guys have any initiatives you have tried to do to get more <coughs> women at your events. I mean, okay. So I, I, mean, I think it, yeah, please. I think it was 20, 2012. Um, not. I'm sorry, not twenty twelve. The second year. So the second year of, of then land run. We realized that we had like single speed open and we had fat bike open and we had all these conversations because Crystal, my wife, single speed, female, badass rider, trans Iowa finisher, just after the finish cut off 15 minutes, so she's not an official finisher, but she she's a finisher. did that shit. She did that shit. Anyway, um, sorry. Can we cuss? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Hell yes. Um, sorry. I'm a, I'm a glass and a half into this really nice red wine. I'm not sure which one it is. Um, so we decided to we decided that year year two 2014 that we were going to mirror every single category all the way up to 60 plus. So men, women doesn't matter. We have a category for you. It's happening. Um, last year for the very first time we worked with the WTF Bike Explorers and Sarah Swallow um, in offering scholarships and lodging to get their crew. And if you don't know what WTF is, it's the Women Trans Femme. Bike Explorers group, and um, they're, they're, they're hundreds deep now in their membership, and they're doing amazing things. They're doing bikepacking trips, and they're, they're, they're raising money to, to get people doing things. Um, Sarah Swallow's doing a, a Ruta del Jefe. She's doing a ride here in Arizona that everyone should check out, and we're doing that again. And so we comped this year. Everyone that signed up, 
we didn't have a conversation before Reg went live, but everyone that signed up, we, we comped, we refunded them literally two days ago, and we've allowed a whole bunch more WTF riders in just in the last week. Every year for, I don't know, maybe the last three or four years, we've been letting in every woman on the wait list. Our wait list has been like 700 people deep the last couple of years, and if you're a woman and you get on there, we, we pull you over. And um, I know that there's some controversy with that. I know that there's loopholes with that. And there's a bunch of other things that we could talk about. But honestly, like if a, if a woman has her name on the wait list and they want to be at our event, we want them there. So we've been organically 20% and it's not good enough. It's not good enough. We want to be better. And then I'll say this lastly, I knew a year and a half ago that I needed to hire someone to help me with the event because I was trying to juggle that and working on Walmart bikes full time because that's my actual job. And actually building really cool custom bikes too. We do a lot of cool <laughs> shit at District Bicycles. You should check it out. And, uh, <laughs> but nice. we, need to, uh, we need to hire somebody. Yeah, thanks, sorry. Was that too obvious? <laughs> we need to hire someone. And so um, Sally Turner kept pressing me. She said, I feel like I'm fit for this position and I have a lot to offer. I've ridden in, in the event many times and I've been around it. I've volunteered and I know you need help and I know that you're refusing help because you think you can do it on your own and you're wrong. And we knew that we could put out, we could put out a resume catcher and get whoever we wanted potentially that was interested to come and work at the event because it's, it's popular, it's cool, it's fun, it's crowded, <coughs> it's dirt roads, it's, it's rowdiness. And um, so we took her up on it and I get offered a real position and now she has a full-time job with benefits and she works for me full-time. And for Crystal as well, obviously my wife Crystal is 100% my business partner and 50% of everything that happens at the shop and at the race. And I'll tell you what, like she, she comes up with amazing design and I'm always trying to push the envelope of what we can do creatively. And she's either like, yes, let's full throttle, that's a good idea, or like you are the biggest idiot I've ever heard in my entire life and we shouldn't do that and here's why. And I'm like, oh, I never thought of that. Yeah, you're right. And so having these voices of different perspectives whether it's male or female, in our, in our case, it is that we have on our quote-unquote committee, we call it the Imperial Court of the Mid-South. Yeah. And um, it, we're, we're mirrored. We're mirrored. Um, no, that's actually wrong. There's four. There's four. Wait a second. There's three. So Crystal, Sally, Mila, Trevor, Brett, and myself. So yeah, we're mirrored. It's, it's half and half. And just like this panel, it's half and half. And it's so cool. It's so cool to see the dudes fret over a decision that we need to make and then the women just say can you please just stop talking about it we already have it figured out and we're like oh awesome <laughs> you ever figured out it's usually the case i mean always the case but um uh, <laughs> so those are things we're doing yeah. yeah i just you know i know bobby Winslow is definitely what people would consider the face of land run um but it's definitely worth um getting to know Crystal Wintel yes. if she'll let you. 100%. Um, she's so freaking amazing. And she's a true visionary and leader in, in this field. She just speaks mostly through Bobby. I, I mean, but, she, she yeah. does not come forward and, you know, we've no. had several conversations, but Crystal is amazing. And, and for, for certain, Mid-South wouldn't be what it is if it wasn't for Crystal Wintel. So I'm glad we can give her a, a nod, a tip of the gravel hat to the behind the scenes mover and shaker that Crystal Wintel is. Bert, did you want to chime in on this? I haven't gotten back to you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and I guess to that point, I, I have to say that like, yeah, my wife Tiffany, she's easily 50% of the pressure, if not more. I mean, there's no way I'd be sitting at this table right here right now without her. And, it, you know, pretty 
anytime I go somewhere that's associated with this event and she's not with me, it feels like something's wrong and it, you know, it's just not right in the world yeah. <laughs> for me. But uh, yeah, um, as far as like the women's participation pressure, you know, from, from the, we've always offered prize money and that's not something I necessarily uh, tout on the webpage or, you know, that's not what I want the draw to be is prize money. Um, but I've always offered it, and it's always been from day one. We've always paid male and females exactly the same amount of money. It's the same course. It's the same amount of suffering. I mean, there was no question in my mind that was going to happen. It's just, yeah, it's, that's, that's a total no-brainer. Um, we've also had other initiatives that aren't necessarily you know, things that I actually put out there and say, hey, we're doing this. But there's been some people that reached out to me in the past. Um, Specifically in Salt Lake City, uh, the Peak Fasteners being a cyclery team every year, one year they reached out to me and said, hey, we'd like to, you know, this is after registration is full. We'd like to be able to purchase, you know, 10 entries into the event specifically for women. And I said, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And I let them run with it. I say, promote it how, however you want to. Um, they put it on their Facebook page and basically every year, you know, they, they solicit people like write us an essay and tell us why you deserve one of these entries. And it's just, it's so fun to watch to see how that all goes. So, you know, it's, for, for me, it's like, I, I don't have that perspective. I'm, I'm a male, I live in this body. I lean on other people to kind of keep me clued in. And so that's what I'm, I'm hoping for other people to be able to do for me. And I just kind of, honestly, I follow their lead. I mean, like, I watch what Rebecca does closely yeah. because I know, like, these guys have got to figure it out. And they're the ones with the voice. And so being able to have somebody like Rebecca turn up to my event for me was huge. Um, honestly, like, seeing her on my start line was one of the proudest moments of my, my entire. And I'm not just saying that. I mean, it's honestly, like, in fact, that year, having her and Ned over at my race, I was like, Somebody just shoot me right now. I'm done. Like, I'm ready to tap out. So, well, I'll really say cool. something yeah. uh, that start line that you did that seemed subtle, but it was really, really big. And I've never seen it at any other race. And I took that playbook from you as well. Is the pro women were called up last and on the front line. And so, all the photos are all the pro women. Yeah. And that's very unusual. I've never seen that before. You know, there's always a call-up, but usually the guys are in the front, the guys are in the pictures. And it didn't matter to me, but um, there's a very powerful media message when the start line photo is all the women at the front. And so I was just like, whoa, look. <laughs> and I have taken that, and, you know, you know, we do that now too. But that may seem like a little thing, but then every picture that any media is going to put up is going to be all the women in the front. And that was super awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You all touched on in more words than one significant others helping you. I just wanted to give a shout out to SV Grant, Reba's partner, because you talk about your wife being um, an integral part of your event. But you know, I want to give Greg a shout out who spends countless hours on the mono marking and doing all that. So um, it does take a village, and having a supportive partner and putting on these events is is really important and helpful. Stay tuned for part two, which kicks off with Yuri grilling Pete Stetna about what could happen if the World Tour pros start taking gravel a little too seriously. If you like this episode and the other more casual conversations we're having with the people behind the brands, events, and tech, hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcast player. And if you really love it, when you queue up that next episode, take a sec and leave us a rating and review. Those really matter, and we really appreciate it. Thanks. Until next time, keep the rubber side down.